Welcome to Terminal Value. So everything I do here at Terminal Value is based around one big question, and that is how do growth-oriented people transform their business and their life to achieve world-class levels of value in everything they do? That is the question, and I am here to bring you the answers. My name is Doug Utberg, and this is Terminal Value. I publish new podcast episodes five times per week. So make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any content. And also make sure to follow me on social. You can just look for the Doug Utberg handle. Please comment and let me know your thoughts. I'm looking forward to working together so that we can make your life amazing. Welcome to the Terminal Value Podcast. We have Caleb Roach with us today. That sounds like the bug, but spelled differently. That is with crochconsulting.com, C-R-O-C-H-E consulting.com. And what we're going to be talking about today is actually using customer data to create a world-class experience. And so, you know, we have a little bit of a tantalizing title. So I'm going to let introduce Caleb here. But so uh, Caleb, of course, is marketing consulting. And we were talking a little bit in the pre-show about the importance of data. And a lot of people talk about data, you know, about things like see cost per acquisition, cost per lead, SEO, all this other stuff, which matters. But there's a part of data that a lot of people miss, and that is your customer experience. So that's what we're going to dive into today. Caleb, please introduce yourself. Hey, Doug. Thanks for having me on. My name is Caleb Roach. As you mentioned, I'm a marketing consultant. I have my own marketing consulting firm where we serve a variety of clients everywhere from your very small boutique, small town Oklahoma, all the way to Fortune 500 companies. So you see a wide range of clients and data. And so we're just trying to help small businesses understand data a little bit better through their marketing. Outstanding. Okay. So now when we're talking about customer experience, tell me what that means to you. So from my perspective, and a lot of people see it differently, I'd be interested to see if we agree or if there's some differences. But from our perspective, the consumer consumer experience starts at the very beginning of when someone fills out an information request or they acquainted with your business. And it goes the entire way until they basically either stop using your business or they pass away. (laughs) And so basically we view it as a entire customer journey from start to finish, how they interact with your business, how they met you how they've gotten acquainted with your brand and the entire journey through starting that connection through using your product or service until the point to where they stop using it for some reason. Do we kind of align on that functionality or you view it a little differently? I mean, well, I mean, see, ultimately it's your framework. So I want to understand the way you look at the world. You know, if I have a diametrically opposing view, I'll, I'll bring it up. Great. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I completely disagree with that opinion. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Okay, right. So we view the customer journey or the customer experience as start to finish, you know, how do they come into your brand? Yeah. How do they understand? A lot of people, as you discussed, they focus on marketing the very beginning. How do we acquire a customer? How expensive is it? Is it meeting our margins? Yeah. And the interesting part is you can get the customer in, but a lot of brands or a lot of products or services don't focus on the app, like after acquisition, what Mm -hmm. happens? And so they'll get these people in, they'll give them great service. And at the very end, they've acquired this customer and now they should be lifetime customers. But for some reason, they don't have systems built or a experience built. And so they come in, they use the service and then leave. And what they're not realizing is they've already, they've done the hard work. So let's keep them in lower the cost of acquisition over the long term and use some sort of customer experience to drive incremental revenue from that current acquisition. 
Yeah, exactly. Well, because that one of the things I was just sort of thinking anecdotally is that I think in a lot of businesses, the way they view the customer journey is the customer journey starts when you try to find them and it ends as soon as they give you money. Yep. Because <laughs> then you never hear from them again. Well, and that's the thing, like there's so much to be said, you know, our experience working with these larger businesses, they're understanding, you know, with let's say a restaurant, if someone purchases, let's say a, a hot dog or a hamburger, yeah. what upsell opportunities are there? And what can they do to drive traffic back? And so if they can give them a great experience with a hamburger, what kind of like, how do they upsell from a medium drink to a large drink? And then in all reality, it's not a huge difference, but if you can look at that incremental lift in revenue from someone returning Mm -hmm. or a better experience from sort of some sort of upsell, it really does provide a lot of interesting data because, you know, if you're paying $5 for someone to come in, they come back five times, your cost per acquisition has actually dropped to a dollar instead of five. Exactly. A lot of businesses don't seem to understand that. Yeah. Well, and restaurants are a very relatable example, but, you know, a perfect example for something like a restaurant would be, you know, there's a certain amount of advertising promotion, et cetera, et cetera, you have to do to get people to come in. Well, you know, so in a lot of cases, what happens is, you know, kind of your margin pricing expectation structure is based on a certain amount of costs associated with that customer acquisition. But like, for example, okay, you know, if somebody shows up and sits down and then you get them on your birthday club, okay, well, so let's say you get them on a birthday club, they get a free dessert. Well, birthday club, you're going to offer a a free entree for their birthday. Okay, well, nobody celebrates their birthday alone. So they're probably going to come with three or four other people. So that means you're going to sell entrees and drinks, et cetera. And, you know, that's the way the whole birthday club thing works because, you know, that's probably the most reliable predictor of what your revenue is going to be. Okay, well, but you don't necessarily have to stop there. Be like, okay, well... So, you know, but, you know, when your server is about to bring the check, what they might do is they might say, hey, we have an advanced purchase gift card program where you can purchase $25 of future gift cards for $20. Would you be interested? Sure. Okay. Check just went up. And then you say, oh, and by the way, you know, for being a part of all our loyalty, we'd like to offer a bounce back coupon, which will be some kind of discount for that's good for use within a month. Well, okay. Do that every single time they come. And now you have a combination of things like you're getting cash flow coming in before you've had to deliver service, which is utter mind grenade for a restaurant <laughs> because they're ordinarily cash furnaces. And yep. so, and then also you're developing an incentive for the same people to come back. And, you know, once somebody has gone to the same restaurant once a month or more frequently for three months, they're regular. We had an interesting concept for an upscale restaurant. So we actually learned this, I think it's called like the red napkin approach. And so- uh-huh. We actually tried it with an upscale restaurant and actually worked incremental revenue. So what it is, is someone that comes in new that they don't recognize as kind yeah. of an, an exist a new customer. They basically identify them with a certain color napkin. So you sit them down, give them a great experience, ask for the first time, give them some sort of napkin. And it acts as kind of like a flag to the staff that that's a new, new person coming to the restaurant. So uh-huh. the, the first time that someone comes and sits down, the chef actually comes out and says, how was your meal? Was it great? Did you enjoy it? Was there anything that we could have done differently? Makes that connection that, oh my gosh, the chef actually came out and spoke to us. Well, as they're finishing the meal, kind of like what you've discussed, they have a second visit coupon. So, hey, come back and we'll give you a free dessert. Well, that signifies as this is the second time coming back. And then it cycles to about three to five different visits with different like flags at each moment. Uh And it gives a client or it gives someone coming to the restaurant extremely memorable experience for three to five times to where they do become that regular. So then you're not actually having to flag, you know, their order, you know what they're doing, you know what they love. 
And what it does is those simple little acts where you're giving 10% off or free dessert. Yeah. It seems like you're giving this grand experience, but it's really not costing the business a lot because they will be coming back every month or they will be coming back every week. Yes. So giving them those memorable experiences that they don't even know what's going on in the background. It's a well-oiled machine. It's going to drive incremental revenue. Well, I think, and then if you wanted to even supercharge that one, you could do the the Dan Kennedy Giorgio letter strategy. So for anybody who's not familiar with this, one of Dan Kennedy's most famous sales letter sequences was for a Italian restaurant owner named Giorgio. And he had this, basically, it was a four letter series. And it was about how Giorgio was the romance director and his life's purpose was to keep couples together and prevent families from getting divorced. But what they would do is they basically carpet bomb these letters in an entire zip code. And so what would happen is you'd have basically every household in an area would get the exact same letter at the exact same time. So not only would it start pulling some people in, but now what would happen is people would say, hey, did you get this letter in the mail from this Giorgio guy? Because if you're doing that in a really small geographic area, it's actually not that expensive. You know, every door direct mail is only like 20 cents a pop. And, you know, say you're talking about another 20 to 50 cents and, you, you know, you do that for, say, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 houses. Okay, you know, you're talking about 1,500, 2,000 bucks. It's not that much money, no. you know? And so I think this is another thing. Now you pair that with like we're talking about with this sequence. And now all of a sudden what you've done is you've created a customer retention machine that probably doesn't cost you any more than what you're already spending. No, it's like a very simple, you know, it takes time to develop and it takes time yeah. to build campaigns, especially if it's more of a product or more of a service than a product. Yes. But the time that you spend building it, maybe a couple hours total to build that process that's more of a well-oiled machine, it's so worth it because you've got a lifetime of information that you can send to cl- customers or a system already set up that it's going to yeah. drive and work so much better. I mean, I'm not going to say it works so much better than advertising, but it really does because you've yeah. already got the client in. You've got the warm touch and now they're going to be lifetime customer. You know, most of them, if they have a good experience. Yeah. So just amazing how sometimes we like to put, you know, customer experience, more of the post visit on the back burner. Say, oh, we already, you know, we want to give them a great experience when they come in for the first time, but then they're not worried about the long term. And so it's not bad to focus on that, but sometimes we like to put it on the back burner and it kind of boils over and kind of, you know, affects our business in a negative way. Yeah, exactly. I've kind of related to this. Another case study that I saw one time that I thought was just genius is there was a fellow, I forget which town he was in, but what he was doing was he opened basically a sandwich shop. It's like, okay, yeah, sandwich shop. All right. Well, so basically what he did was he broke out all the surrounding areas into, I just basically bought every door list and just sequenced out the areas. What he did was sent a free sandwich coupon, no strings attached, no drink required, no buy one, get one, nothing, just free sandwich to like, basically, I think it was like about 500 people at a time over like one, five or six week scale. So basically what he did was instead of doing kind of like brand type advertising, he just sent out all these coupons. And, but what happened was for about a month and a half, there was a line out the door that wrapped around the building. And so pretty much everybody who's driving why is like, what's everybody waiting for? And then of course, now you can start putting in, okay, you know, while you're here, you know, go to the QR code, enter your email for the coupon, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So now you can get people to know where your location is, build a list, and then you'll get a percentage of them on repeats. And, you know, then what will happen is once you build enough gravity that way, you may never have to advertise. You know, I think that's the marketing hack for the local business. The referral marketing side is so important. I mean, you can't rely on one different channel. You can't fully rely on advertising. You can't fully rely on referral. You never want to get, you know, 
set in your ways. But at the same time, if you can build systems to where, you know, something happens and you have to pull back advertising dollars, you know that you're generating business still. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's awesome. All right. Well, let's see. So we've kept it on the kind of on the local side. Let's go to the other end. And, you know, because you were talking about Fortune 500s. And I say this is actually probably one of the places where large businesses are probably, I would say, shockingly bad. Yep. <laughs> because so my career, my kind of pre-entrepreneurial career was in the tech industry. I was in finance. I worked for a lot of years at Intel. And Intel was kind of, was actually a little bit of a weird hybrid because they were primarily business to business. So, you know, what they do is they'd sell CPUs, parts, et cetera, to Dell, HP, whoever. But what they did was they, but they tried to do business to consumer advertising. It ended up in this really weird type of thing where they were trying to be a consumer brand without having consumer data or consumer contact. And so what ended up happening then is you ended up having a lot of assumption-based strategy conversations because there was no data to make decisions on. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That's how it typically goes. It goes from the very top. You've got corporate level marketing experience that thinks that they know what they got to do. They roll out this advertising campaign from a broad perspective, and it does not hit the core target because we're not analyzing the actual data. We're just going off of emotion and thinking, let's roll out this product to business consumer when we're really a very heavily B2B focused company. And let's try these, these B2B strategies. And then they realize that they don't resonate with consumers. They're resonating with B2B side still. So it's a, it's a fascinating topic. And it's really interesting, you know, seeing some of the clients that we've worked with, they put a very big, heavy focus on what they would consider as like a regional activation. And so as a nationwide brand, as a large brand that's got a you know footprint across all of the U.S., having regional activations where they've got regional strategies built in for Midwest versus South and getting extremely granular, even state level or city level and yeah. building out campaigns directly tied or focused around that regional or that hyper-local campaign to where you've got national campaigns going around data that's going to generate exposure. But then at the very end of the experience as well is more of the regional activation, regional favorites from a food perspective, product perspective. What is that specific region or area specifically looking for? Because as you know, someone in Oregon is going to have a much different buyer's mentality than someone like me in Oklahoma, you know, everything's a little bit cheaper here. And, you know, we're used to lower cost of living. And so someone might not react as well in Oklahoma compared to Oregon based on price, or someone in Oklahoma is going to attach a little bit more to like, let's say core family values. Yeah, it's more of a small town feel. They want that versus Oregon. I would assume it's a little bit more around, you know, like a business, let's say a business setting or more like not as family values from the Midwest. Yeah. For example, one of the things you'll see a lot or that uh, really resonates with a lot of people in Oregon, particularly in the, in the Portland area, will be things like, say, you know, community equity, environmental sustainability. Those are things. And, and again, this is not judging whether one's better or worse than the other, yep. but you know, there'll be different things that resonate. Oh, yeah. And it's very valuable to understand and identify those things because it really does play into a big part. Like, you know, Oklahoma is historically known to not really worry about the environment versus more of your, you know, Oregon is very heavily focused. And so if we roll out a campaign around customer experience and the impact that they're making on the environment, it's not going to make as big of an impact in Oklahoma versus Oregon. And 
same thing, vice versa in Oregon. And like you said, it's not a good or a bad thing. It's just the way it's that it works. It yeah. If you play into, I know something like a local brand or a, a nationwide brand was tying in like the emotional appeal of going to the restaurant as a family and spending time as a family and mm -hmm. getting, you know, burgers together. And it's a great ordeal. And they're talking about how memorable that is. I'm assuming I'm going to take a stereotype that would not make as large of an impact in Oregon as it would in, you know, small town Oklahoma, because, yeah. oh my gosh, that tugs at my heartstrings. And I love that. And it yeah. plays into that versus, you know, it's just, it's interesting seeing the different environmental effects yeah. of each, each location or regional. Yeah. And so the customer experience plays into that because someone in Oklahoma might have different expectations than Oregon on the customer experience side. Yeah, they want exactly. to be welcomed differently. You know, is, is a environment more of a business setting? Is it you mm -hmm. know, a city or state? Is it more focused around what is the experience that we can provide? Like this high level experience yeah. with a bottle of champagne right there and you can yeah. request something and it's more of a focused environment versus generalizing Oklahoma. It's is do they want a family feel where it's open seat, open seating and you can see all yeah. the families sitting down and it makes such a big difference from a, a huge impact from a business of really hitting in those core regional areas and ideas to kind of encapsulate those family values or environmental values or whatever that looks like. Got it. Yeah, totally, totally makes sense. Although I, I was going to say, even with our generalizing Oregon comments, I should say that when you get outside of the major metropolitan areas, your psychographics will start to resemble Oklahoma much more. Yep. And that's the thing. I mean, it's really cool to see, you know, as you get into more city level data, how does diff each different city react? Because as you mentioned, every city reacts differently. And so yeah. you probably do have some cities in Oklahoma that more of your met metropolis cities yeah. that probably tie a little bit more into the environmentally sustainable yeah. models and then more of your smaller towns. And so you can almost get a little too tied down with data though, because that's the other thing is data is great, but there's now so much data that it's like, how focused do we have to be on these cities? And at what point does it turn into we're wasting our time because we're spending so much time looking at a small town versus a large town and breaking down that because you really have to be focused as an organization where I think you're going with this, which is really important is to say that using data to its optimal effectiveness, it's not something you do in 10 minutes. It takes a considerable amount of effort and expertise. And generally speaking, there's certainly a power curve because when you, if you start incorporating data, usually you can make much, much better decisions. However, you do get to a point of diminishing returns where more data doesn't necessarily add more value. Because you can always, as we always tell clients, you can always have data tell different stories. So you and me looking at data, we might see a completely different side of the story. And so it's important to make, make sure that you make broad generalizations around data that are data-driven you know, decision-making that drives marketing decisions. But at the same time, you have to be organizationally aware, whether you're a small business or a large business, that sometimes we can be so bogged down in the data that we make decisions that are going to affect us long-term because we might've seen some sort of outlier data that we're gonna mm -hmm. make a quick decision make that wrong decision and act off of that data and realize we might have used some sort of outlier, you know, piece of data. And so the big thing is understanding how are we using this data? How are we collecting it? And then how are we actually going to make this you like use this data for our decision making for that better customer experience? Got it. Got it. All right. Well, let's say I think we're just about at time. So, uh, but before we go, give us your one or two last thoughts and then make sure to let everybody know where they can find you. Of course, shout out your website one more time and let us know your favorite socials. 
Okay, perfect. Well, I'll just talk for about 20 more minutes on my final thoughts and we'll call it good. Just kidding. <laughs> no, I think, oh, this, I is, think, this, is, this is taking me back to the university professor days. <laughs> oh yeah, I love it. It kind of gets me excited. I would just say summarizing everything that we discussed, I think no matter if you're a small business, I think it's important that you actually identify and use data in your business. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the, the key takeaway for smaller businesses that maybe don't think that they're big enough for data. And then on the other side, for the big organizations that, you know, have so much data they're collecting almost almost more expensive than oil they need to make sure that they're actually identifying and clarifying the data that they're getting to make sure that they're not making organizational decisions that are going to have long-term effects and so i think summarizing i think those are the two key points no matter if you're a small business or a big business and then people can find us obviously at our website crch consulting consulting.com we have kind of a spot where they can book a free call we do no obligation calls. We love building relationships with people. And so if someone's interested in learning a little bit more, they can do that. Find me on LinkedIn, Caleb Roach MBA. I love connecting with professionals and just keeping up with yeah. new people. So that's a big thing Got for it. us. Got it. All right. Hey, Caleb, really appreciate your time, man. Yeah. Thanks for having us on. Appreciate it. All right. Talk to you later. Hey, thanks for watching to the end of the video. There's just a couple of things that I need from you right now. Number one is I need you to subscribe. If you're not already a subscriber to the channel, please hit the subscribe button and turn notifications on. That way you will know every time I publish new content. Number two, comment. Share your thoughts. I want to know what you did and didn't like. What should I make next? And number three, share this with your friends. Go on to Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn, wherever you, uh, you hang out socially, and then post a link to this video and let people know what you liked about it and make sure to tag me. And then what I would also like to do is I would like to offer you the most incredible free gift ever. And this is related to my business where I help other businesses reduce their contract related costs. If you are a decision maker in a business, then I want to talk with you to see about how we can address your contract costs and drive savings. If you know somebody who is a business decision maker, then I would like you to help me get in contact with them. And in exchange, I am going to give you a absolutely free vacation at one of 30 places across the United States with no obligation and no timeshare pitch. Uh, the value of this, again, depending on how much savings we achieve, can literally be between thousands and millions. So anyway, just hit the button below for the most incredible free gift ever. Make sure to subscribe, share, and comment, and watch the next video because I'll be at you with more.